We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We are talking about a Nets playoff loss to the Bucks. They fell in Game 3, 83-86. How are we feeling, Jack? The one that got away. The one that got away. The Nets played poorly for a majority of this game and still had an opportunity to win this one, so that's some type of positive. But, again, we're going to break that down and plenty more. As always, you find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do you want to start? Let's go with the ending, Nick, because it seemed to be – somewhat shambolic in the fact that Bruce Brown was creating chaos, creating his own shot, taking shots away from two of the best shot makers, individual shot makers that we've ever seen in Kevin Durant and in Kyrie Irving. And, you know, while they did have, you know, somewhat off nights for, for their respects, it was more them missing shots, not necessarily the great defense. So what went wrong, I guess, in the final 90 seconds or so, and, you know, that final possession from Bruce where he sort of just attacked, went a little bit crazy and, and sort of went up for a layup that probably was a little bit advised. Yeah, I'll start at like the 123 mark after Katie hit that huge three, gave the Nets the 83-80 lead. And okay, Nets have a three-point lead. You're feeling really good with the rest of the personnel you have on the floor, given how the Bucks have played this game. You know, next possession for the Bucks, they give up a somewhat easy layup to Chris Middleton on what seemed like a miscommunication defensively. Uh, Blake technically got called for a goaltend on there, but it felt like a layup that Middleton was going to hit. So that's already a negative right there. Next play, Joe Harris missed a shot. He probably can hit, you know, a mid-range jumper that was wide open. He had a really off night. Whatever, you move to the next play. Giannis misses. Uh, Blake Griffin gets a block. Chris Middleton misses again. Then now you're on the offensive possession. You're still up, I believe. Um, you're up 83-82 at this point. Kyrie drives. They run the pick and roll with Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown takes a tough floater slash jump shot over uh, Brooke Lopez, which, you know, he hit at different points in this game, but you don't necessarily love the shot in that particular set. Whatever. Next possession down. You have Drew Holiday. Semi-transition. Beats Joe Harris off the dribble. Bruce Brown's there to kind of recover, but Drew hits him with a spin move. Scores right there. Okay, whatever. Nets down 84-83. You're like, all right, whatever. You know, we have Kevin Durant, who's literally hit three of his last shots, two being mid-range jumpers, one being in a crazy three. Uh, next play, instead of um, getting the ball to KD, it ends up being a Bruce Brown layup attempt over Brook Lopez, and Brook Lopez is in a great position. And some of it kind of was a result of a bad inbound pass, and the ball kind of rolled on the ground. Kyrie had to pick it up, throw it to Bruce Brown. He had the open lane. And instead of kind of just pausing in that situation, he elected to attack with, you know, about – 10 to 6 seconds left on the clock. 
a terrible shot attempt, especially when you have Kyrie and Katie on the floor. You know, obviously misses. Bucks get the rebound. Chris Middleton hits two free throws. Katie has a chance to tie it with essentially, you know, a heave. I wouldn't say it was a clean three-point look, but a shot that Kevin Durant theoretically can hit, but not a high percentage shot. Almost goes down. Nets lose in a game where they had an opportunity to win over the last 90 seconds, especially when they had that 83-80 lead. Yeah, it's weird because Bruce had done, Bruce was a big part of the comeback. You know, that, yeah. that second quarter, you know, the 31 to 15, where the Nets really got themselves back into it. And you're sort of, you know, sensing the momentum. Katie starts hitting some shots. Kai starts hitting some shots. And it's just like, okay, here's the wheel turning. Here's the, the, the wheels yep. are in motion now. You know, Bruce is getting float after float after float up. You know, Brooke Lopez is continuing to stay inconceivably still in a drop and just allowing Bruce to get these shots that he loves. It's his bread and butter. But, you know, I think there just has to be a greater awareness from Bruce Brown there. Uh, yep. I think that the, ultimately it's just like, okay. And he's done such a good job all season of, of making the right decisions and just doing the little things, doing the right things here and then. And, you know, sometimes the, the mo- cometh the moment and uh, I think it, it, it flustered. He looked flustered out there in those yep. sort of possessions where it's just like, all right. Whereas in, on the short roll, a lot of the time he's just like, okay, make the decision, kick out to, to one of the stars and, and let, let them do their work. Um Ultimately, like you said, Jack, there's usually like a slight pause sometimes on the roll where he's like analyzing the defense and then, you know, it wasn't really there. You know, the second the first shot, he maybe could have it wasn't the worst. But the second time when he had the open lane, it just felt like, all right, let me calm down. This isn't a great attempt. It's not like the shot clock was uh, the game clock was at two seconds and it needed to be up. There was still six to eight, ten on the clock. And like, to be honest, no disrespect to Bruce Brown. I'd rather see a contested KD three mid-range jumper over pretty much any other shot in that situation, unless it's a wide open look for somebody. And I will give Bruce a little bit of an excuse. It did look like he had a slight groin pull, uh, pull maybe like a few possessions before. I don't know if that had an impact on him. Or also, he just played really, really heavy minutes in this game. Yeah, he did. 38 minutes for him, um, you know, massive minutes for all the starters as we've sort of seen throughout this series. And, you know, for good reason, you know, yeah. we have our best players out there. We generally see good things happen. And I think that at that point in time, I wonder because KD's gotten mad at, at, at teammates before for not giving him the ball, you know, a la Draymond Green as his bus in a regular season game. I wonder if behind the scenes he's having a bit of a chat to Bruce Brown about like, my dude. I'm Kevin freaking Durant. Give me the ball. I'm going to cook on these dudes. Yes, I didn't have the best uh, efficiency night, but I was getting clean looks no matter what. You know, I've watched yeah. you know, 90% of this game and, and it was just like, Katie's just missing shots. And, and again, yeah. Kyrie's just missing shots. And that's not going to happen, you know, more than one or two games in this series. And hopefully it doesn't happen in game five. But yeah, I think it's just a, a level of awareness that we probably expect more from Bruce. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking at it, as at his game overall, and he's a big reason why the Nets were even within a shot uh, of actually being competitive in this game. Yes, you know, ultimately we would like him to make better decisions down the stretch, and you know, and Joe Harris hit some shots here or there. But at the end of the day, uh, this is how basketball is sometimes, and I think it's probably just more frustrating in the fact that you go up 3-0, and that's the nail in the coffin pretty much. Whereas yeah. now, you give this team a sniff, and you give them home, and they are still on home court. You know, the probably energy will be be buzzing uh, there again in Milwaukee. And, you know, they've got a chance to level this at 2-2. And it changes the trajectory of the whole series. You know, 90 seconds can change the trajectory of a whole series. We've spoken about that in playoff previews of, of every series that we've spoken about. You know, every possession matters. And unfortunately, Bruce didn't execute at the time that we needed him to. 
Yeah, and like you said, Jack, I think Bruce Brown was excellent for the other 36 minutes of the game or whatever you know amount of minutes it was or 35 minutes, whatever. He was great, and it sucks that you know the thing that you're going to remember or the memory you'll have of this game is the last play or the last couple possessions of Bruce Brown because, like you said, he was a big reason they got back into the game. I think also there's some consideration, too, I will say, to give you know less of the blame on uh, Bruce Brown. On the first possession when the Nets were up um, 83-82, it was a Kyrie and Bruce Brown pick and roll. And I felt like Kyrie initiated the offense a little bit too fast. So we've seen him do that before and it wasn't a two for one situation. So there really was no rush to attack. You know what I mean? You're up one here. You want to kind of hold the ball to, I don't want to say the last second because you want to make sure you get a good shot, but you want to kind of initiate a little bit later. And I think that's been a concern I've had with Kyrie in the past. Sometimes is that like clock management and not to say it's his fault. He can't control what Bruce Brown does, but I think I would have probably held off a couple seconds later. And then potentially if you hit the bucket, now you leave the bucks with maybe 10 seconds to hit a three and tie the game. So there was multiple things. It's not just all on Bruce Brown, why the Nets lost. And like I mentioned, there was two defensive uh, miscues where they gave up essentially easy buckets to the bucks and they were playing excellent defense for majority of the second half and that just kind of sucks is when you play so well and you kind of just let loose on a few plays and, and like you said jack a few plays cost you the game yeah look and to conversely say Kyrie Irving also hit like a massive clutch three yep. as the, the shot clock expires at the same time so yep. it, the basketball is a game of runs it's a game of plays and, and like you alluded to nick 30 points in that first quarter from the milwaukee bucks 56 combined for the last yep. three you know, for, for those that, and, and a lot of it is, you know, missed shots from, from Milwaukee, but I think we've sort of seen throughout this season, throughout these players, the Nets can turn it on defensively and yep. really make life tough for Milwaukee when they want to and when they are totally engaged. And, you know, if they were totally engaged for 48 minutes, they, they get this win on, on both ends of the floor. It's as simple as that. They are the better team. We've seen that. But sometimes, you know, it, it, all it takes is a game here, a game there. All you got to do is win four of them. And a, and sometimes the better team can lose a series. Upsets happen. This is this is sports. You know, this is how the the nature of the beast. But, Nick, talk me through Kevin Durant's game because, you know, he started the game 2 of 10 from the field in the first half. You know, had six rebounds, four assists, a lot of turnovers, had four turnovers. But to the end of the game, you know, he finishes on, you know, about a, a 9 of 8, 9 of uh, sort of 18 uh, from the field, um, didn't have any more turnovers, got a couple of steals here and there as well, did get a block. What did you think, I guess, was it PJ Tucker doing better things? Uh, was it you know, Giannis getting more possessions on him? What allowed, I guess, the Bucks to make life tough for Kevin Durant? Or was it Kevin Durant just missing shots that he normally makes? Yeah, I would say majority of it was KD missing shots. Like there was a couple mid-range jumpers that just rimmed out for him that he typically always knocks down. But I will say, you know, PJ Tucker... Wasn't in foul trouble, spent more time on Kevin Durant, obviously provides that level of physicality. I think a couple of times you saw more help come than we've seen in the previous games. You know, a couple of those swipes that led to turnovers, you know, some of that's on KD, but some of that's just him getting a lot of attention. So I will give the Bucks a little bit of credit and, you know, PJ Tucker with his excessive physicality probably caused a little bit of disruption. But in the second half, KD just kind of turned on, was like, yo, I'm focused, I'm ready to go and let me do my thing. So Kevin Durant, you know, a bad game that was 30 points, 11 to 28 from the field, three of eight from three, five of six on the free throw line, 11 rebounds, five assists, four steals, one rebound. And like you mentioned, four first half turnovers. Uh, he was good enough for the Nets to get the win. And like I mentioned, he had that stretch in the fourth quarter where he hit two mid-range pull-ups and then had a big three over P.J. Tucker that gave him the 83-80 lead. So, you know, as bad as Katie was in the first half in terms of shot making, 
he was still substantially good enough for us to win this game. And I saw a lot of Nets fans like complaining about him missing shots. It's like, guys, you understand that he literally has hit like more than half of his shots of the entire postseason and how incredibly difficult that is to do, especially with the amount of attention he gets and the amount of tough shots he takes. So I'm okay with KD having a, a slightly off night. And look, slightly off for him is still good for anyone else. And you know, if you're looking at PJ Tucker talking a little bit of shit to Kevin Durant and them getting into it a little bit, PJ, mate, maybe score a bucket and then you can actually yeah. talk to the greatest bucket getter maybe in the history of the game. And, you know, stop flopping, man. Like, he just flops and flops and flops. That, I don't mind if you show a level of physicality and toughness, but, like, maintain your ground. Hold, yeah, be consistent. Hold your ground. Don't, like, do this Marcus Smart BS. You know, if you want to be Tony Allen or, or one of these sort of gritty Gary Payton sort of dudes, then don't be flopping around like a goddamn magic carp or some shit, my guy. Um, no, I ain't about that. I ain't about that. And Kevin yeah. Durant... You know, he he got into it as well, and I don't. I think it sort of initiated him a little bit because I, I think KD mad. KD, you know, it, you, you think it's going to be like oh, he's going to be off his game or whatever. KD loves loves talking shit. He loves talking trash. Draymond has said on his podcast that he's the biggest and best trash talker he's ever played against. So you don't want to get KD going in, in any sense of the word. And it's still thirty points, eleven rebounds, five assists, four steals, and a block. Did he get to the line five times? Three of eight from three. Eleven of twenty-eight from the field. Pretty damn good game for the best player in the world in my eyes, your eyes, and, and many people's eyes. So I think that, and we sort of saw him after so many of the shots, it's just like he gave that, old, like that little bit of a clap to himself, like, damn, that was in. He's like, that's a good shot. Yeah. And a lot of it was just like rimming in and out, rimming in and out. And it was just, and it's just like one of those nights where the, the basketball gods aren't necessarily in your favor. And it happened a little bit to, tonight to Kai as well. I think Kai probably got some worse shots, but he still was able to produce, you know, some magical moments as he, as he has been lately. But, this is just one of those games where I don't think the offense was totally working. Um, and the Nets, the offense has been working for a very, very long time for this historically great offensive team. Uh, and they were still almost able to get the win. And, you know, Nick, as, the, as I put out on Twitter, it was 21 of 61 between Kyrie, KD, and Joe from the field. 34% from the field. You lose by three. I don't know. That's not the worst thing in the world, but I'm not trying to find hollow victories in a, in a win that the Nets probably should have gotten. But at the end of the day, if they take, you know, if they make 5% more of their shots, it's a W. So try to, I'm trying to keep it in perspective, but I still have the level of frustration that you and other Nets fans do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Yeah, I think you look at it too. It's like, yeah, the shot making, because the Bucks shot horrendous too. You know, uh, I think you look at that, you know, they shot 37% from the field, 19% from three. Net shot 36% from the field, 25% from three. Both teams really terrible. I think really the biggest difference in this game was the first quarter. You know, the Bucks got out to that hot start, got that lead, and the Nets really just made life way too easy. Obviously, the Bucks were going to come out with a lot of energy, but they let them get the offensive rebounds, easy cuts for Giannis, dunks, and things along those lines. And obviously, that kind of provided the Bucks a little bit of cushion that kind of held them in the game because if you remove the first quarter, it's essentially a pretty solid win for the Nets. So like you said, Jack, I think there's plenty of positives to take away. And getting to Kyrie, you know, like you said, he had some really big shots in this game. I think he had a couple more questionable shots in terms of shot selection just because he's undersized. He's dealing with Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, I thought, was really, really physical with him and it was crazy that these were the two the first two free throws Kyrie has shot in this entire series so obviously that's kind of played a role and I will say that I felt like the Bucks were just giving the Nets stars more attention this game I felt like all right we're not gonna let Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving beat us we're gonna force you know Bruce Brown Joe Harris and these other guys and you know Bruce stepped up for majority of the game but the other guys really couldn't hit shots so it kind of worked out for the Bucks and their scheme but again even just going off percentages, a guy like Joe Harris, who I put out, had probably the worst shooting game of his entire career. Like, I can't recall Joe missing this many wide-open looks. There was probably two shots maybe that were contested at the rim by Brooke Lopez, great shot blocker. But the three-point shooting, they were they were all essentially wide open for him. And it was just strange to see because we saw a couple of the possessions where he'd missed a three. The offensive rebound would get kicked back out to him, and he'd miss again. And it felt like over the course of the season, over the course of the last couple of years, if he gets a second shot, it's a guarantee to go down. So it's just a really, really off night for Joe Harris. And look, it's it pains me to say it, Nick, but I think this is probably the worst game of his career as well. And yeah. and in a moment where we needed some some sh- some big shots from him, he wasn't able to step up. You know, one of eleven from the field, one of seven from three, had four boards, had a dime, three points, minus eleven in the box, plus minus. It, 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 it's really, really disappointing because Joe has had such a great postseason, you know, in yep. terms of what he's he's done to Milwaukee and what he's done against in this first sort of couple of games before tonight, as well as, you know, the series against Boston. He was tremendous. So everyone's allowed one bad game. You yep. know, I, I'm confident enough that Joe will be able to, to put up and, and, and put that behind him. You know, he has the level of confidence in himself. The teammates certainly do too. But we can't, we can't have Joe Harris shooting one of 11 from the field. Uh, in, in games, and when you lack Jeff Green and James Harden, two guys in your rotation that you know are going to take a, a couple of shots here and then and probably make quite a few of them as well. Joe has to be our third best player, and Bruce Brown was tonight, and you know he, he was pretty good for the most part, but we need Joe to hit those shots. We need him to play his role, and unfortunately tonight was just not one of those nights for Joe. And You know, you get one three from Joe, you get a tie, you get OT, you get two threes from Joe, you get a win. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty simple. You, know, you could maybe put this down to Joe Harris's poor shooting. He hits some of his shots. The Nets win this game. It's as simple as that. In in some respects, a lot of little things that could change the trajectory of this result. Yeah, and six fouls for Joe Harris, which is kind of strange. I felt like some of the calls on him were a little weak compared to what type of calls they're not calling on PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday. Save that for another day. Not really going to jump into officiating a ton. But again, like you said, Jack, I think Joe Harris. Not hitting those shots, it kind of provided the Bucks defense a little bit of a cushion, too, where it's like, all right, we're not going to be completely attached to this guy because he's just having one of those off nights. And Joe just seemed like a little off in terms of like his shot selection mental approach because I saw him take two long twos in this game, which is just really unique because he does take twos. He does take mid-range jumpers. But we're talking about twos that were just like weird angle shots, just not necessarily a shot that I think he's taken all season, to be honest. 
Yeah, there's a flow in mental energy to to this sport, and yep. I, you can sort of tell when when a guy is on, when a guy is feeling it, and it doesn't yep. ne- even necessarily have to be, you know, the, the field goals being made. It's just the, I don't know, we, oh. we know, yeah, a flow. We know Joe Harris pretty goddamn well, and you know, we sort of know when he's on and when he's off. And tonight was one of those unfortunate off nights that you know that have been few and far between uh, in his Brooklyn Nets tenure, but. As long as we get a bounce back performance from him, then you know I'm going to be totally fine with it. And even Kyrie Irving, Nick, because you know only one assist from him, and in in yeah. games past, in the absence from James Harden, you know when the offense has sort of been bogged down and it's been sort of you know lacked flow, and and Kyrie Irving stepped up, and you know only 15 assists in total tonight on on 34 made field goals. You know I've always said you know 25 plus is is a number that I'm always looking at, and. You know, KD leading the team in assists uh, again. He's always been tremendous. Mike James had three himself as well. Uh, to go with Bruce Brown's three uh, also. I think Kai needs to do a better job of, you know, providing that level of leadership and understanding of the floor. Be a bit more true point guard, Kai, while also still getting his own. And you know, I think this is just one of those games where so many players were off, and with the the lack of depth in the Nets rotation, the lack of talent that they do have, despite still having you know KD and Kyrie it's not going to get the job done if those guys aren't even somewhere near their best. And I don't think they were. Yeah, I think also credit to the Bucks again for kind of disrupting the flow and kind of making the Nets work to get their offense. We mentioned the bad first quarter scoring 11 points. Like, that's just going to throw your vibe off. And I think, you know, the Bucks just kind of continue to play really physical and even disrupt some of the sets. But like you said, you know, you want to get a little bit more from Kyrie in terms of that point guard role, especially on a night where Mike James was pretty bad and only played 12 minutes and couldn't really do much as in terms of a penetrator. And that's what they needed. And some of it, too, is Drew Holiday being elite defender. I think Drew's had his issues in the series in terms of his off-ball defense, but on-ball defense has still been really solid, especially against a guy like Kyrie Irving. He's one of the best in the league, if not the best yep. in the league, at on-ball defense at the guard position. You know, He's going to be an all-NBA-level uh, defender for, for the rest of his career and this season and for, for many seasons past. He, he's incredible, You know, and, and Kevin Ray has said that himself. Nick, in terms of how the, the Nets were able to, I guess, Jack, curtail... one more note on Kyrie. I just want to get this. I, I think, like, some of his mental engagement in this game was a little bit off. I think maybe he's fatigued. I wouldn't rule that as a possibility just because defensively there's a couple possessions where he just really screwed up and it just led to an easy Bucks possession. I mean, easy Bucks bucket. You know what I mean? Like, not getting back on defense. or Like, he does this thing where he gets switched on to a big, and then KD or Blake Griffin or Nick Claxton will be like, switch, 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 and then he doesn't switch, and then he ends up just get, be, getting beat inside. And it's like, yo, you are 6'2", six, six or whatever, how tall you are. Like, you're not contesting a 6'8-plus guy or whatever, whoever's out there. So, like, I think sometimes he just needs to be a little bit better defensively. And honestly, if you correct half of the defensive lapses he had in this game, the Nets win by a couple points. And I'm not saying he was terrible defensively because he had some good possession. It's just some of those mental lapses. It specifically happens when he thinks he deserves a foul on one end and doesn't get it, and then he doesn't get back, which is a common thing for NBA players. Yeah, I mean, Joker does it a million times. You know, all, yeah. all of those, Luca uh, as well. Joker, yeah, or Joker wants a foul. Everybody after he doesn't get a call. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and 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 funny enough, Nick, you know, hearing you sort of say that, it's just like it sort of reminds you of old Boston Kyrie Irving in, in terms of the series that he had against Milwaukee in season past. Where it's like, you know what, I got Giannis. You know, I got this, and it's just like. 
My dude, like, you do so many great things at the basketball court. Have the level of awareness to be like, okay, KD, you, you get this switch here. Blake, you get this switch here as well. Yep. And because those guys have guarded Giannis pretty goddamn well this series. You know, we've seen all the stats about, about Blake, you know, forcing Giannis out of the, the restricted area. You know, I think, what was it, the average shot taken when he's being guarded by Blake is around, like, 12 feet compared to, like, 8 yep. feet as normal, which is you know, incredible defense. And, and the stat that I thought was uh, was really sort of, uh, reflective of how good Blake has been defensively on Giannis, and you know, Giannis still was was really really good tonight. I had 14 boards, 33 points, a couple of dimes here, uh, four of nine from the free throw. So still not doing his thing despite heading back home. But uh, I still think that the the Nets, it, the, the key to this series in terms of how we stop Milwaukee is going to be Chris Middleton and Andrew Holiday. You know, because you can let Gian, I, I'm pretty comfortable with how Blake has guarded Giannis, and Matt Brooks is probably the one who who touted that at first and. Everyone needs to listen to Matt Brooks when it comes to talking about Nets basketball. We all know that. But, you know, Chris Middleton tonight, 12 or 25 from the field, 3 of 6 up from 3, 8 of 9 from the free throw line, 15 boards. Him and Giannis combined for 30 points in that first quarter. It's Chris Middleton hitting shots. That's going to make the Nets lose games, Nick. I think yep. we sort of saw the game plan early on in the series, and it worked pretty goddamn well. Chris Middleton gets back home, gets to sleep in his own bed, and it's a bit more comfortable for him. Yeah, and I thought the Nets did a better job in the second half on Middleton. It was really that first quarter, like you said, Jack, got 15 of his 35 right there and just really got comfortable and started hitting shots. And we've talked about it on game one, game two. He's a guy, if you can force him to miss his first couple shots, he might just end up having a bad game. And, I, you know, some credit to him for just hitting some tough shots in this game. But also I think the Nets let off off the hook, got him some easy contests without kind of getting that full physicality into him in which they were in other games. So just another thing where they just need to be locked in and engaged from the start of the game. Yeah, I mean, he it was him and Giannis that took free throws. And then Bobby Portis yep. took one that he missed as well. So you've got to have the level of awareness where it's just like it's getting easy buckets. And Chris Middleton is an, is an exponentially better free throw shooter than Giannis. So yeah, hack yep. Giannis all, all you want. But Middleton, you want to force him to take jumpers. Make him beat you by jump shots. And he's going to hit some of them. But I think yep. consistently over a series... He's not Kevin Durant. He's not Kawhi Leonard. So if that's going to be his bread and butter, then you see more performances than what you got out of game one and game two. So full credit to him, full credit to, to the Milwaukee crowd, you know, really Gene up there. Their guys had an awesome start. But, you know, there's just all these little things where we're just like, well, if Kyrie Irving did this, if the Nets didn't start like this, if Joe had done yeah. this, if Bruce had done this, it's just like they're all ifs at the, at the yeah. end of the day, Nick. And I think at, all that's going to matter is that when we go forward and go into game four, it's 2-1. And it doesn't really yep. matter what the ifs are now. It's about the response from the team overall, from the coaches, and how you go. Okay, we put that one in the in the memory banks. We try and you know execute in a in a way we, we we erase some of the mistakes that we made. We execute some of the mistakes that we probably should have as well. Uh, and then we give ourselves a, a decent shot of going three one when we head back home to Barclays. Hopefully, close out the series. But. No, I had a weird feeling about tonight, Nick, and, and in general, just heading into the game. I'm like, I have no idea what to expect because Brooklyn are going to give you, uh, sorry, Milwaukee are going to give you your best shot. And they did, 30 yep. 11. And I think a lot of it was just like, you know, the Nets just weren't hitting anything, you know? Yep. I, I can't imagine the Nets having an 11 point quarter. <laughs> you know, I can't remember the last time it happened. It probably would have been under freaking, I don't know, Jared Jack and Isaiah Whitehead were running the offense or something. Yeah. But <laughs> in all honesty, uh, if that happens, you know, it's going to put you in, you know, a 19-point deficit. It's, it leaves you a long way clawing back. And thankfully, the Nets are good enough to be able to get themselves back in it because their offense is that good. 
But, you know, there could be times in this series where that happens, you know, you get a performance that, you know, where the, the Nets were able to go like 49 points, you know, and increase and increase and increase. So uh, you've got to be better uh, for 48 minutes and you've got to execute possession after possession. It's it's a simple game in a, in a lot of respects. The game becomes simpler. The game becomes tighter. It's it's a half-court game in a lot of respects. Yep. And, and then it, it, this, it normally does suit Brooklyn, Nick, in, in that respect. But, you know, home court advantage, you know, now we're seeing these crowds absolutely buzzing, going wild. You know, the Nets are going to have to respond. I don't think the crowd really has that much of an effect on the Nets. In fact, I think it has of... more of an effect on the Bucks in the first quarter of anything. Yeah, it, it, it affects the home team. But it yep. doesn't affect the the opposing team in terms of like you know Kevin Durant's done this time after time again you know what he does on opposing courts you know he steals you know opposing fans' souls and opposing players' souls he's done that you know throughout his entire career and you know he had a pretty good performance tonight and, and this is going to probably go down as one of his lesser performances despite the fact that he was still the best player on the team and probably would have got us to win if we had got him the goddamn ball in, yeah. in the minutes of the game so Nick in terms of the Bruce Brown. One note on the Chris Middleton thing. Sorry, Jack, I keep going back. But I just want to say the one detail that the Nets needed to be better at is getting over screens for Chris Middleton and recovering. They didn't do a good job of that today, allowing him to get to that floater a little bit and just use that length to shoot over a guy like Joe Harris, even Bruce Brown or Landry Shamit. So I think making sure you're better at getting over the screens. Obviously, that's tough with Giannis when he does like that, uses his length to really take up a ton of space. You need to find a way to fight over those screens and kind of just create that extra level of contact. But Go ahead, Jack. I was going to, before we do move on, because I guess your sort of final points on Middleton, I want to hear what you think, Nick. Do you think that he is the key to this series? You know, do you think Giannis is the, the guy that's going to be able to bully his way down low, get those easy sort of buckets, and he might hit a three here or there and a couple of free throws? Do you think Middleton, if the, the Nets can continue to limit him in a way that was closer to the game one and game two that we saw rather than what we saw tonight, do you think that that's going to help you know, the Nets, you know, find more success and, and, and bank some more wins and hopefully win this series? I do, Jack. I think, obviously, you don't want Giannis to score 50. I think, like you mentioned earlier, Blake's done a solid job. I think Clax has done a solid job. Katie's done a nice job with the help providing those guys, even Bruce Brown digging down a little bit. So I think the reason you want to focus on Middleton is because, obviously, he provides the jump shooting, which can space the floor and provide a different element. But he's a guy that can kind of play off of Giannis. He can run that pick and roll with Giannis and kind of take a, uh, get some of the advantages of playing with such an elite player. So you don't want him to get hot because then that becomes their bread and butter, and then that kind of starts unlocking open shots for other guys so I agree I think you want to make sure Middleton doesn't get hot and it seems like Drew Holiday is kind of in his own head you know the Nets have done a solid job on him but he's also just missing a ton of shots yeah he's still going to impact the game defensively as I sort yeah. of alluded to there so you know if the Nets can can hone and, and provide a defensive game plan of what they sort of you know or execute in in a better fashion than they did in game one to game two force Middleton to take tough jumpers which he can make but he's not as good a tough jump shot maker as the guy that we have on our own team and yep. in fact both of the guys that we have on our own team you know he's not six don't give him open threes I saw too many open threes from Middleton tonight yeah and that those shots not only you know, invigorate him they invigorate the home crowd and then in, in yep. turn invigorate the team you know he's he's so damn important to what they do he's an all-nba caliber player been one of the most consistent players uh consistent wings that we've seen an underrated wing so you know i don't mean to sort of you know go down the throwing the love the uh, chris middleton's way but you know he does deserve a lot of it and he's, he's very a, consistent in the regular season but he can be extremely sporadic in the postseason that's what the nets need to capitalize on and they need to make him sporadic. You know, yep. I, I think that he can, we, we sort of saw him in his head a little bit 
You know, he was 0 of 8 to start game two. And, you know, tonight he was hitting easy jumpers and, and getting... And you sort of, uh, as you alluded to as well, Nick, you know, Milton's success also increases the likelihood of Giannis's success because yep. if he's hitting that three ball and you've got an open lane for Giannis and he's going downhill, he's going to get free throws at the very least. And sometimes that's a good thing. But yep. also if he's making it and getting and once, it's not necessarily the best thing in the world either. So, yeah, I, I think that Middleton is is just so damn key to, to what the Bucks do. And if the Nets can... Make it life a little bit tougher for him, um, then I think that it'll go a long way to, to getting a game four win. But who else did you want to touch on, Nick, in terms of like, you know, we've got a pretty solid eight man rotation. We know what it is now. Uh, I know your, your boy Mike James wasn't necessarily the, the game where we had to apologize for him. But in, in, all, in all seriousness, who do you think, I guess, was, was something that worth touching on? Yeah, I think Mike James came in the game a little bit and just kind of looked for too many bad shots. You know, he isolated a little bit too much with Kyrie and Katie on the floor. And it wasn't necessarily like an advantage where there was help down low. So it was just kind of a tough look. So I think that was a little bit frustrating. And that probably forced Kyrie Irving to play the 45 minutes that he played tonight because Mike James wasn't able to kind of give you the 20 or 30 we've seen in the previous games. Landry Shamit was okay. You know, obviously I like the five rebounds from him. Hit a three really early on that kind of helped spring some of that Nets comeback. Um, defensively, he has his ups and downs. He puts in the effort. He just doesn't have the size or the physicality to really defend at that end. You know, Nick Claxton, solid. Uh, Bobby Portis really tried to aggravate Nick Claxton in this game, just trying to get under his skin. I noticed a little bit in game one and game two. It felt like it was at a different level in this game to the point where Nick Claxton was talking to the refs about it. But again, seven rebounds for Clax. Uh, Two points, you know, a couple good defensive possessions on uh, Giannis in there. One play where he kind of just shut him down in isolation and got a piece of the ball, which maybe maybe one of the most impressive possessions of his career. But I think they should try to get Claxton maybe a couple looks on some of those oops and some of that vertical spacing just a touch. You know, the Bucks have done a great job with that, but I feel like they need to find a way to give him more value when he's on the floor offensively so they can play him more minutes because – Honestly, my thought in my head when Bruce Brown was reaching out his groin and I was thinking, like, who are we going to put in? Who are they going to put in? Do you want to go with Landry Shamit here? In my head, I was thinking about Nick Claxton just because of going with that double big set and having the defense and then also just having another guy that can poke out some of those offensive rebounds. And honestly, another screen setter. You know, that's just what you need. And if Giannis is going to be on Blake offensively, it kind of disrupts some of the screen setting you have with Blake Griffin because of all that length with Giannis. That's it. And, and look, there's a... A lot of quotes that seem to show some uh, of the measured nature from Kevin Durant. Yep. You know, sort of that was a tough one. I wish we would have made more plays down the stretch. Um, all these sort of little things. You know, Kevin on KD on the on the Bucks. They played their their regular way. They played the way they've been playing the whole season. I like how he defended and rebounded all game. I just like how he stayed with it. Did you like you know I guess the the fight from this Brooklyn Nets team, Nick? You know, the the rebounding, you know, the grittiness that we've sort of seen you know at, at points in time throughout these playoffs, as well as the regular season. Yeah, I did, Jack. Honestly, just for the aspect of they were down 19 in the first quarter, it would have been really easy to be like, you know what, we'll take the game 3L and we'll move to game four and just kind of go after it there. The fact that they were resilient in that aspect was huge. But also defensively, I thought they were very good in this game, kind of disrupted a lot of things the Bucks were trying to do, forced them to hit some really tough shots, forced them into some really bad possessions. Defensively, that was you know a real positive to move forward with. And I think the rebounding aspect wasn't bad. You know, I thought in the first quarter they got a couple of those offensive rebounds. Pat Connington had a stretch where he got like two offensive rebounds. But other than that, you know, solid on those two fronts. And if you had told me the Nets were going to be solid defensively and solid in the rebounding uh, um, category, I'd be like, you know what, that's a Nets dub. But offensively, they just had one of those really, really strange games that I don't necessarily anticipate seeing probably again this postseason, knock on wood. 
Yeah, look, they're time and time again they've proven what they are and, and what we expect from them. But you know, it, it just shows you that you know what is this more. In fact, I'll ask you, Nick, what is this game more about? Is it about the Nets losing it? Is it about Chris Middleton finding some form and that you know getting a bit of momentum for for this Bucks team? What do you think are the big takeaways overall from this game three matchup? You know, I think in a game where the Nets, if you had told me it's going to be a grind out gritty game and it's like, you know, it's going to be a low scoring affair, I think you lean to the Bucks and you probably lean with the Bucks winning by, you know, double digits or something like that. But the fact that the Nets lost by three had plenty of opportunities to win this game. I think you really look at it as a positive. Yeah, the shooting variance was terrible for both teams. But again, the Bucks haven't shot well in the first two games. So I think you have to start crediting the Nets defense and what they're doing in that aspect. And this was, you know, somewhat of the Bucks defense being better, but also some of the Nets just missing shots. Like we talked about Joe Harris. Those were not contested looks. He just missed. We're talking about one of the best three-point shooters in the entire NBA. Like guys just miss shots. Kevin Durant, you mentioned, missed some mid-range jumpers to start the game. So like at the end of the day, I think the Nets feel pretty good where they're at. They wish they could have played that final stretch in the fourth quarter a little bit better and they would have won the game. But overall, I think you feel better about the Nets after this one than you do about the Bucs. Obviously, like you mentioned earlier, Jack, you know, you let a team get a win in a series. They have an opportunity to even it up at home in the next game. But I think this kind of just gives you more confidence in the Nets winning the series because they're just, like you mentioned earlier, the better team. There's just they're just and they also just look more playoff ready and like created for a playoff atmosphere where some of the players in the Bucks just lack some of that like playoff gear and you know maybe you can say that about the Nets role players on the road but you definitely can't say that about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving oh, absolutely not you know I, I think that playoffs the the game simplifies in a way that I sort of yep. alluded to earlier where it's just like it's talent that sort of gets you out and, and Kevin Durant is that talent you know Kevin Durant's one of the best playoff players that we've ever seen you know in, in my yep. lifetime it's it's him it's LeBron James it, it's Kawhi Leonard you know in terms of when I've been following basketball and you know I, I think ultimately if the Nets do a better job of of being able to Kevin Durant provide us success on the floor then you know it's it's a W going forward so uh, and again you know the, the the minute allocation is an interesting one Nick but I think the the time off in between these guys. Uh, I think Kevin Rand and Kyrie Irving are dictating their own minutes. I think they're like, you know yep. what? I'm good to be out here for 43, 45 minutes. You know, every game matters. Every possession matters to me. And a lot of the time when we've had James Harden, when we've had Mike James at their, at his best, you know, there's almost been resting on possessions for them. You know, yep. not necessarily defensively for Kevin Rand. He has probably a greater load in his 43 minutes than Kai does in his 45. So I think that that's something to monitor. But, you know, I think the durability of both of these guys, I'm not going to question whatsoever. But, you know, it's just going to be, do we see Jeff or, or James Harden back, Nick? You know, we, we sort of heard... The, the questions of, of Jeff, whether he's been practicing. He hasn't been practicing yet. <laughs> As he said, he's like, if I'm practicing, I'm playing. Um, and James Harden, no update from him uh, either. Could we see either, both of them in game four? Do you, do you think that they're going to return at some point in Milwaukee? I think it's less likely to see James Harden. I would not expect to see him in game four. I'd expect... Jeff Green to play in game four, I think. I think it's uh, more likelihood. I would put it at like 75% of probability. There's a small chance he might not. Obviously, it's a difficult injury to play with. But I think it also, like you mentioned, Jack, gives Steve Nash a little bit more to his rotation and also will give some of those guys plays off because I don't think they got those plays off tonight. There weren't those Mike James possessions or those Joe Harris possessions. It was a lot of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving having to do a ton on a regular basis, even just kind of initiating some of the Bruce Brown stuff. So... You know, those minutes were, I think, heavier in game three tonight than they were in game one. Um, game two obviously was a blowout, so those minutes didn't matter. But also looking at the Buck side, 
Coach Bud played his guys big minutes. Giannis played 43, Middleton played 44, and Drew Holiday played 46. And I find that a little interesting just because obviously he had that weird comment after game one. But also I'm intrigued to see how these guys handle it going into game four. Because KD and Kyrie are kind of used to this to an extent or have kind of played with this minute allocation on a regular basis. Is the fatigue going to have more of an impact on the Bucks? Is it going to have more of an impact on the Nets? What do you think, Jack? It's going to be interesting, Nick. I, I'm not 100% sure. I think that you know the away team is, is is less likely to be able to pull up. You know, There's just that level of comfort. You know, Sleep in your yep. own bed. Katie has said that time and time again. I'm sort of just like echoing his sentiments. But I don't know. I, I think ultimately each game is a series within a series. I, I've said that yeah. time and time again. I wasn't necessarily reading into the fact that the Nets are now a cakewalk into the championship after winning game two. They won two games in, in, in the second round. You know, yeah. Nothing is won yet. It's, it's, it's the Kobe Bryant quote, which is like, what have we done? What, what have we done? So right now, the Nets, the, whole, the, the full and sole focus has to be on game four. You know, whether you're tired, whether you're not, none of that shit matters. When you're suiting up in the black and white, you go out there and you give whatever you, you need to do. And if the Nets execute, they will win this game. It is on them to be able to, yep. to stay with, with their, what they can do, what they do best hit their shots, make things physical in, in a way that makes Milwaukee uncomfortable, and they're going to get the win. Yeah, honestly, I'd love to see Game 4 start with a Joe Harris made three. I think that would kind of just give me the utmost of confidence in terms of the Nets winning that game, you know, run a set, get them an open shot, boom. I think that's kind of what you want to see. And like you said, Jack, the Nets just need to execute better. Now you have a better idea of how the Bucks. I think they made slight adjustments, you know, not something you could typically see over watching the game one time. But I think if you rewatch, you could probably see some differences in the way they played tonight than what they played in game one and game two. So I'm interested to see how, you know, the Nets react to that. And I think they need to do a little bit better job of getting easier looks for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, specifically Kyrie. I think KD, like we talked about, doesn't matter. I'm not sure if it really matters if the shot's hard or easy for him. Uh, for Kyrie, obviously, he's an incredibly talented player and can hit those difficult shots. But sometimes I think the fatigue of dealing with a Drew Holiday for an entire game can kind of wear and tear on you. Bring the energy, bring the engagement, make things easier like Clax and Bruce have in terms of, you know, yeah. make things tough for the guys that are guarding, you know, make things tough for Drew, make things tough for PJ, make them question what are actually fighting through those screens. And, you know, they've done that a little bit in this series. They've got to do it time and time again. It's a, it's a faultless task. It doesn't show up on the box score, but these guys are willing to do it. They've shown us that they can. And, you know, hopefully, Nick, you know, all the things that we've sort of spoken about, the little things, you know, get corrected and we see a, a game four performance that we know this team can give. 100% Jack and I think one final note I try to get to the free throw line more be it even if it's just bonus and not attacking the rim I think you need to find a way to force the officials to make some of these calls I thought Kevin Durant started to do a better job in the second half maybe he was flopping to a little bit of extent but the physicality in which they're playing with and the aggression in which they're playing with I think the Nets can find some ways to get to the free throw line more than eight times especially when the Bucks are getting Chris Middleton there nine times alone by himself so We'll see what happens in Game 4. Still very confident in the Nets and the way they play and the talent they have and obviously the potential of having some of these big players back. Any final thoughts, Jack, before we get out of here? Look, it's a, it's a Nets world still, Nick, and, and Game 4, you know, it's the only thing that matters. It really does. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.